You are listening to Primary Care Perspectives, a podcast where pediatric experts from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and other guests discuss primary care issues that are on their minds and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and today I'm talking about the newborn nursery and COVID-19. Joining me is Dr. Joanna Parga-Belinke, a neonatologist at CHOP and also the co-host of the Baby Doctor Mamas podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Katie. So we're talking to you today about coronavirus or COVID-19, particularly in the setting of the newborn nursery. And I know you've been there recently. Mm -hmm. So tell me, in the setting of this, are newborns being discharged any differently than usual? I know we're trying to keep everyone out of the hospital for their own safety. So does this include newborns? So yes, mothers and families are asking to leave earlier and we aren't recommending that they necessarily leave earlier. So it's kind of interesting because we have this desire of... And I say families, it's really moms and their support person because we're really limiting the visitors that are coming into the well baby nursery. But people want to get out of the hospital because the hospitals are where COVID is believed to be. The earliest that I have had a patient leave was eight hours after delivery. Again, this is not recommended. And with this patient, we as a team called them and followed up with them and had them go to a pediatrician, actually a CHOP pediatrician (laughs) that we knew we could follow easily. and. It's just hard because leaving early after delivery isn't a common practice for us in university hospitals. For places like delivery centers, it can be a more common practice or birthing centers. It can be a more common practice and they have a good flow for outpatient care. But we really worry about outpatient care because as you said, I'm a neonatologist. So I'm not the one that's going to be following up with all of the newborn screenings as they come back Mm -hmm. or be the one that's going to be following up closely with bilirubin or with weight loss in these babies. And so for me... The absolute earliest that I really feel comfortable sending a newborn out is a little after 24 hours after delivery. And that at least lets me send screening tests like the congenital heart screen and the newborn screen. But the AAP hasn't changed the recommendation and still recommends that discharge occur at 36 to 48 hours of life. Mm -hmm. Again, to look at things like jaundice or bilirubin levels and weight gain, and also watching for things like stooling and voiding, which babies should do normally somewhere between 24 and 48 hours after birth. Right. And so there are a lot of things both on the newborn side and on the mom side that we want to make sure that both are safe for discharge. Yes. But when they are safe for discharge... As you mentioned, there's a lot of different screening tests that are done in the hospital for newborns. And when babies are going home early, there may be some of these things that we need to pay even more attention to as primary care pediatricians than maybe what we're used to when babies stay in the hospital longer. So can we do a little refresher and let's talk about the timing of when some of these things are done and why so that we can accurately interpret the results in the patients that we see who have been discharged early. I'm actually, I'm so glad we're talking about this because this is something as a well baby nursery provider and really only that because I'm in the NICU or the well baby nursery that I really worry about 
being missed when I discharge a patient early, which again, I'm being called upon to do. Mm-hmm. So first is the congenital heart screening that we do with pulse oximetries. So we do pre and postductal saturations in babies. And that only really works if the patent ductus arteriosus or the PDA is closed. And generally that does close in less than 36 hours after a full-term infant is born. Mm -hmm. And it's considered to be a persistent PDA if it's open for greater than 72 hours. However, I think, you know, what's important to keep in mind is that hemodynamics change a lot in newborns when they're first born in those first few hours and those first few days. So if you're not waiting to do the pulse ox screening until after 24 hours of life, you could miss something. And the, the big worry is that you'd miss something like a congenital, you know, cyanotic heart lesion, which would mm. be really deadly for a baby. Right. The other things we worry about, newborn screening or the PKU testing. So, I mean, after delivery, there are a lot of hormonal changes. There are a lot of electrolyte changes for baby. Feeds aren't completely established after a baby delivers and maybe for the first few days until a mom's milk comes in, especially if mom is breastfeeding. And things like that can affect the newborn screen. And to be honest with you, it isn't accepted by the state of Pennsylvania, at least where we are. And I mm-hmm. imagine this is in different states across the country, unless it's sent after the baby is 24 hours old. Okay. So 24 is the cutoff. Exactly. And this leads to a lot of issues for us too, because if I'm sending it in less than 24 hours, the state is going to come after me (laughs) as the (laughs) well baby provider to make sure that it's resent. And I actually wonder, and maybe you can answer this, Katie, I mean, are outpatient facilities equipped to send newborn screening if they need to? So I think for some of our listeners, it might depend on where they are, but certainly at CHOP, we can send the newborn screening if it wasn't done in the hospital or if there was an error, we are used to repeating inadequate newborn screens from the birth hospital. So that's something that we can do at CHOP, but I can't speak for the other community practices, but I would hope that everyone would have access to sending off a newborn screening because sometimes that is necessary even outside of COVID. And that's something that we always want to make sure can be done because if it's not, again, sent after 24 hours, then it's not going to be accepted as a valid screening tool, which makes sense. And the other thing we really worry about is jaundice in babies. And I already warn parents when I'm in the well baby nursery that, you know, especially parents who are breastfeeding, moms who really are dedicated to breastfeeding, that bilirubin management or jaundice is not going to be something that we can say is not a problem after their stay in the well baby nursery after a vaginal delivery after 48 hours, if they Mm -hmm. even stay that long. So it's something that I really kind of put on the general pediatricians as something that might need to be followed. Because there are things like breastfeeding jaundice, which is essentially breastfeeding failure jaundice or dehydration, or then breast milk jaundice that can still be an issue. And these issues can persist for not days, but weeks after a baby is born. And, you know, I think it's stressful for parents that it's something that they still have to think about. It's something that, you know, if the bilirubin does go up, that they might need phototherapy for and might need to get readmitted to a hospital for. And so, you know, especially in babies where I'm worried about jaundice, I try to stress that to parents that, hey, like maybe you should stay a little longer so we can help you take care of this so you don't wind up having to have another hospital admission to follow up on this. And that's also why we really want parents to go to their general pediatricians one to two days after they leave the hospital to follow up on issues like jaundice. Mm -hmm. I do think that with bilirubin, we're used to seeing them before they leave the hospital and sometimes getting, because it is going up over the first few days, getting that level at 36 hours can be helpful because I know at that point, if they're low intermediate risk or low risk, 
that I don't have to be as worried. Mm -hmm. I am a little bit more worried about getting these early bilirubins when I know they're still going up that maybe being low at that point might be falsely reassuring from what I'm used to seeing, which could be 12 or 24 hours later. Right. And I, and I do think, you know, that is something in the COVID era that general pediatricians just have to be more alert about because a lot of these levels, again, like I'll ask parents to stay at least for 24 hours, but that 24 hour level can change a lot Mm -hmm. depending on how feeding is going, depending on how well the baby's engaging with the breast or if the parents are supplementing or things like that. So it's something, again, I stress to both general pediatricians and to parents that needs to be followed up on. Right. And the last screening test I worry about that really should be done after 24 hours is the hearing test. And when we do a BEARS, we're looking at both conductive and also neural hearing loss. But what they can fail on is for issues with conductive hearing, especially if the ear canal itself is filled with fluid or vernix or some other matter that doesn't allow the baby to pass the hearing screen in the first 24 hours, which is not uncommon. And then for you guys to get an audiology appointment, it could take weeks. And mm-hmm. so I, I am a little bit nervous about that being an issue and leading to later identification of hearing issues in newborns and in babies than we might have had in the pre-COVID era. So it sounds like the cutoff for most of the things that you just mentioned is around 24 hours of life, that most of these screening tests are better if we do them at 24 hours or later of life. So mm-hmm. does that sound accurate to you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then for infants who are discharged around 24 hours of life, should we as primary care pediatricians be seeing them in the office sooner than we normally do? Or does that defeat the purpose of them getting their early discharge anyway, if we just bring them back into a hospital setting or a clinic setting again? No, please see them. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's, I really, and I'm, I'm telling this to families too. I say, you know, when you leave here, yeah, I'm just your doctor for this short amount of time that you're here, even if it's just as short as 24 hours. Mm-hmm. But really following up with the pediatrician, establishing that care is something that needs to be done for these babies. And I wonder if that's going to be one of the silver linings of COVID actually is us all thinking about how we do better about streamlining care from the inpatient setting where a baby is born to the outpatient setting where a general pediatrician sees them, especially in practices where general pediatricians don't round in hospitals. Mm -hmm. So I'm really hoping to get that message across that, you know, we really want these babies to be seen and to be plugged into care. And I know the AAP itself has stressed that we shouldn't be limiting the visits of infants who are less than two years of age because we really want these infants to be engaging in care, to be getting their vaccines. And Mm -hmm. I think this care in the first few weeks of life is so important. So please, please, please see those babies 24 hours after their discharge, because that might have been at the 48 hour mark where I would have gotten another bilirubin, which would have told me that the baby needed phototherapy. Right. So it's such a critical time for these families. Great. That's a good point for us to keep in mind. So the other thing that you do in the newborn nursery period is help establish breastfeeding for mother and baby. So now that they may be going home earlier, what resources are there to help breastfeeding mothers at home during this early critical period of establishing breastfeeding? Well, it's really interesting. I work at the university hospital for the University of Pennsylvania. It's called Hub Hospital for us. 
And uh, they have a new program that's called Healing at Home, which is basically an app that interacts with families to try to prompt them to give them advice and information on things like breastfeeding and lactation. A lot of pediatricians' offices are now doing a lot of telemedicine, and so they're engaging their lactation consultants through telemedicine, too, to be Mm. calling into families and to be helping them troubleshoot problems that they might have with breastfeeding. That's right. And I know that you, Katie, had some resources as well for breastfeeding moms at home, because those are two that I can think of off the bat. Yeah, and we know that the Department of Health in Philadelphia is also offering some breastfeeding lactation counseling that can be done, again, via mobile services. So telemedicine type things, apps. And I think, like you said, this is a a place where maybe COVID-19 is pushing us towards some innovation, which is great because Mm -hmm. we are often finding moms who have trouble breastfeeding initially and are looking for resources. And there's you know, not always easy access for everyone to lactation support. So maybe now we're pushing through some lactation innovation that could help all moms even after COVID-19. Yeah, because I think a lot of it is support and normalizing as well. I mean, I think it'll be harder to analyze things like the latch without having someone there in person. Right. But I think there's a lot we can do through telemedicine. And I know for a fact that telemedicine visits are skyrocketing, especially in the pediatrics world. So Mm -hmm. I'll be curious to see how that translates to lactation as well. So while we're talking about lactation, can a mom who has COVID-19 breastfeed still? So the short answer is yes. So currently um, there's a new AAP practice protocol that came out on April 2nd for the management of infants born to mothers with COVID-19. And as a part of that protocol, it's saying that, you know, there's no evidence that the virus is transmitted in breast milk. And there is also the idea that maybe you could get immune protection from the breast milk. What's interesting, because this is a novel virus, is that people aren't going to have antibodies necessarily in their breast milk to Mm -hmm. the virus, especially if they're breastfeeding early on. But breast milk and immunity from breast milk is not just about antibodies. There is an acronym. We love acronyms in medicine. It's called ACE Choice, (laughs) A-C-E-C-H-O-I-C-E, that talks about immunity in breast milk. And so I could just say it because I spelled it out. It's antibodies, which we all kind of think about and know about, but also cytokines, epidermal growth factors, carotenoids, hormones, oligosaccharides, interleukins, cells that fight infections, so white blood cells that can be passed in breast milk, and other things like essential fatty acids for neurodevelopment. So there's a lot in breast milk, and I think it Mm -hmm. could be beneficial. And from what we know, again, the virus is not transmitted through breast milk. And we kind of know that from other epidemics like SARS and MERS, Mm -hmm. which were similar to COVID-19 and also were not seen in breast milk. So that gives me some confidence in telling moms, like even if we are recommending separation, that they should still be expressing their breast milk and giving it to baby because it could have some protective effects for the infant as well. And we're always fans of breastfeeding in pediatrics. And so it's Mm -hmm. good when we can help moms who want to breastfeed achieve that goal, even if they happen to have COVID-19. Yes, definitely. So in the newborn nursery, If you have an infant who's born to a COVID-19 positive mom, should you or are you testing the infant as well? 
So we are. And I think it'll be really interesting. I mean, I have the luxury of working at a large university hospital where actually, you know, so guidelines about COVID-19 change in hospitals, I would say almost daily. And currently starting on April 13th, our hospital has begun testing all mothers who are coming into labor and delivery for COVID-19. So I think what we might see is an uptick in the number of pregnant moms that are coming in and delivering because we might be uncovering those moms who have more mild symptoms. Because currently, up until this point, we had sort of been testing moms who were people of interest or persons under investigation, PUIs for COVID-19, and also people who were very symptomatic. But now we're going to be testing everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to also lead to a lot more testing a baby. And the current AAP recommendations are to test babies at 24 hours of life and and then to test them again at 48 hours of life mm. and to wait for two negative tests to say that the baby does not have the infection. And a lot of the recommendation for doing this double testing and testing for two negatives is still that we don't know a lot about the virus and we don't know when infants will have true viral colonization if there is vertical transmission. So we are recommending at least two tests in every baby that's born to a COVID positive mom. So that's a good thing for us to keep in mind if this baby happens to be one of those early discharged babies, right? So if the first test Mm -hmm. maybe was done with you in the nursery, we still should be doing that second test at 48 hours. And it does bring up a lot of issues is, you know, are people in community practices going to have access to this kind of testing? And my hope is that we're going to have more widespread testing to be able to still monitor these babies very closely. But yes, it's something that if the discharge happens in less than 48 hours might fall on a general pediatrician. So a lot of our pediatricians in the community also cover well baby nurseries and attend deliveries. So in the setting of COVID-19 with all of the new information that's coming at us all the time, what resources do you recommend for providers to stay up to date as it relates to newborn care? Yeah, well, the AAP, in conjunction with the American Heart Association, has released new guidelines for first responders. So for people who are going to be either going to resuscitations of newborns or who are going to be performing any cardiopulmonary resuscitation to think about taking extra precautions in the COVID-19 era for practitioners. Mm -hmm. It is hard because things are changing daily. And I mentioned the AAP and AHA recommendations. There's also new AAP guidelines mm-hmm. um, that again came out on April 2nd that talk specifically about newborns and mothers and that relationship and how um, how we're going to be recommending separation. So that's still a discussion with family, but recommending separation if the mom is COVID positive. I think that separation is easier to achieve when mom is actually very sick from the virus as opposed mm-hmm. to when mom has a milder case. There is, for physicians, there is a COVID-19 pediatrician's Facebook group, which I found really interesting to follow and to see the conversations happening on there. And then specifically for neonatal care, there's something called NeoClear, which stands for Neonatal COVID-19 Literature Evaluated and Aggregated in Real Time. And it's done by a group of neonatologists from the University of Colorado in Denver. So there's so much information New information is coming out daily and it's important to find different sources to keep track of this because it might mean that guidelines for care are also changing day to day. And staying up to date with your local hospitals, 
guidelines and practices as well, because as you mentioned, some of these things and policies and procedures will be hospital specific Mm -hmm. and people should be aware of what's happening at their delivery hospital so that they can be following their local protocols as things are very regional. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for teaching us more about COVID-19 in the setting of the newborn nursery. We appreciate all you're doing for the babies at HUP and for everyone at CHOP when you're back there too. <laughs> and thanks for, <laughs> for chatting with us today. Thank you. Again, it was such a pleasure to be on. And you know, if there's any other questions, Katie, please let me know. This is a topic I feel passionate about as we get evolving information on it. And we will make sure that everyone knows also to check out some of your episodes on COVID-19 on the Baby Doctor Mamas podcast. Thank you so much, Katie. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Primary Care Perspectives. You can download and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or visit chop.edu slash PCP podcast for a listing of all episodes. I look forward to our next chat.